Oh, that was a short intro. I didn't even have time to get up here. It's good to see you all. Doing well today? Well, good, good. My name is Tim. I serve as one of the pastors here at Grace Point Church, and I'm really glad to be with you this morning. Uh, before we jump into today's uh, word, uh, I just wanted to share with you a quick update. Next week is our Covenant Partner class. Uh, so if you've been around here at Grace Point Church for a while, and you would say, Grace Point Church is my home, uh, but yet you have not yet become a member, or we call it a covenant partner here at Grace Point Church, we, we would love to invite you to come and be a part of this class happening next week from, from 2 p.m. to 5 p.m. Uh, it'd just be a great time to come and just hear about all things Grace Point Church and learn what it looks like to, to be uh, a member or a covenant partner here at Grace Point Church. So I'll be there, so I hope to see you there as well. Now, when I was a kid... Um, I believed uh, in some myths. Now, like growing up, we all heard the myths uh, that you kind of believed as a kid, right? You, you believe things like uh, if you sit cl too close to the TV, uh, then it will hurt your eyesight. Or maybe if you crack your knuckles that you'll get arthritis later on in life. Or if you swallow chewing gum, it takes seven years to digest. Or, you know, if you touch a toad, that's how you get warts on your hands or, you know, don't go swimming uh, for 30 minutes after you eat or else you'll get cramps and you'll drown. Uh, so we all heard these myths. There's probably uh, a few hundred more that we, we kind of believed. We, we kind of heard our parents say we, they were kind of legend amongst our friends. But did you know that as Christians, we believe some myths as well? We believe the myth that bad things don't happen to good people. And if they do, uh, then God must be punishing me for something. Uh, we believe that pastors are somehow more spiritual than uh, the rest of us. Uh, and, and let me let you know, we're not. We're not. Um, becoming a Christian means that I have to give up having fun. That I just have to uh, just live this dull and, and boring life of just following Jesus uh, we have this belief that once you become a Christian, that all of your problems just go away. Uh, that Jesus becomes like Pedro from Napoleon Dynamite, right? He's going to make all of your wildest dreams come true. And I think this is the big one here that we all believe is that Christians are supposed to be happy all the time. Did you know that God does not expect you to be happy all the time. We hear uh, scripture verses says that we are supposed to rejoice always. And we, we, we take that to mean that we are to be just happy and joyful all the time, that we should be always smiling and, and, and always cheerful. Uh, and, but we know this isn't true, but we don't act this way, do we? Uh, like we, we, we show up on church uh, and someone says, well, that greets us and says, hey, how are you doing? And we just say, well, you know what? I'm too blessed to be stressed. Uh, all the while knowing that the bottom has just dropped out of our life. All the while knowing that we are just in this inner turmoil that's happening in our stomachs. And it just begs the question of why do we do this as Christ followers? Now, we all know, right, that life is difficult at times. Can we at least all agree on that? Yes, we can. So we, 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 we agree with that, that life isn't always easy. That life just doesn't work the way it's supposed to work sometimes. Uh, we know that our bodies don't work as they should. 
We know that our weather doesn't work as it should. Uh, the economy doesn't work as it should. Like, if you don't believe that, go check out uh, the gas prices over there at Murphy's, uh, and that'll let you know that it just doesn't work this way. I told my wife, Kate, it's a good thing that we live close to the church because I'm going to start driving my Lamborghinis. Uh, it's, uh, gas prices are just crazy. So we know the economy doesn't work the way it's supposed to. Uh, our relationships don't work. Our marriages don't work perfectly. Just things don't work the way that they're supposed to. And we know that life is full of losses and life is full of defeats and we have disappointments in our life. In fact, Jesus promises that life will be this way. And it says right here in John 16, it says, he says, in this world, you will have trouble. And we're surprised when trouble comes our way. And Jesus is saying, life isn't always going to be easy. That sometimes we have sorrow and we have suffering. We have problems and we have pressures and we have defeats and we have disappointments, don't we? And so with all of this, with all of the losses in life and all of the grieving and the mourning and, and, and all the grief and loss that's kind of surrounding us, it makes one wonder, how are we to just progress and go through life? Well, I want to see, uh, let's see from what Scripture has to say about this. So if you got your Bibles, uh, you should have your Bibles. Turn with me over to Matthew chapter 3. We're going to pick up there. Actually, we're going to start there. Now, we've been saying for a while here at Grace Point Church that you need a Bible. And you do need one because we lead, teach, and preach from the Bible. Uh, normally, we put the full Bible verse for you on the screen. But during Lent, we're just putting up the Scripture reference. Uh, so uh, you'll need to be turning some pages while we're going along or, you know, your phone kind of clicking away. If you don't have a Bible, you can go to Centerpoint. I think we got tables right here that have Bibles on them. You can grab one of those. Uh, no one is going to uh, tackle you for doing so. In fact, that can just be our free gift to you. Uh, so here in Matthew 5, 3, uh, we uh, are going to pick up on uh, our sermon series uh, today. And what we've been doing is like really through Lent, we're going through uh, the Beatitudes. Uh, this is what this first section of text is known as. And it's really just a portion of Jesus' most famous sermon, uh, the Sermon on the Mount. And in this sermon, he's, he's proclaiming I'm pronouncing these nine blessings over the people who were present and listening to him preach. Now, what I want you to know that these are not character traits that we are uh, supposed to aspire to. It's not like, okay, if you do these things, then Jesus is going to be happy and blessed and approved of you. Um, what Jesus, who Jesus is talking to, he's, he's talking to not the, the winners, not the wealthy, not the best and brightest. Uh, he's not saying that. He's talking really to the least of these, the unimportant, the losers. And he's saying the kingdom of heaven belongs to people such as you. And so I want you to hear today that Jesus is saying that if you are here today and you're unimportant and, you're, and, and the, the losers and the least of these, what Jesus is saying, he is for you. He's for us, the, the unimportant. And so last week we looked at this first blessing right here in 5.3. And Jesus said, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And who Jesus is talking about here is these people who realize and understand that they are spiritually bankrupt. 
that there's nothing that they could do or say or earn their way into heaven. And so uh, this week, we're going to look at this next blessing that Jesus pronounces right here in verse 4. He said, blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Now, what is Jesus saying when he's saying, blessed are those who mourn? Well, as Ty was sharing last week, the word blessed, it could mean happy, but really uh, a, a more fuller definition of this word blessed is mean approved. That God approves of you in your mourning. And he's, what he's saying is that your mourning is good and it's right and it's true that you should. And right here, it kind of blows up this myth that we as Christians are to be happy all the time. And so if you are here today and you are mourning and you're weeping and you're grieving, then I want you to know that Jesus is here for you. And he's saying that you will be comforted. And he says that you will be blessed. Now, I don't know where some of you are at this morning. Maybe you came in today and everything's great in your life, uh, and, and that's great, but maybe you came in today and, and things are just not well with you. That there's things in your life that's just causing all kind of inner turmoil this morning. Maybe you got a bad health report, or maybe you had an argument with your spouse or your girlfriend or your boyfriend, or, or maybe this big expense just popped up and you're just wondering, how in the world am I ever going to pay for this? Or maybe even someone that you deeply love and care about, maybe they have betrayed you. Or maybe even worse, someone that you love and you care for has passed away. They have died. And I just pray this morning that you hear Jesus' invitation to you, that you feel his comfort. And so as we look at this text, we have to be wondering, though, who is Jesus talking about when he's saying that they are blessed in their mourning? Is Jesus saying that everyone who is sad and mourning is blessed? No, Jesus isn't saying that everyone that is sad and mourning is blessed. Or he's not saying that everyone who is sad and mourning is going to be comforted. Well, let's look at who Jesus isn't talking about right here. First, Jesus isn't saying, blessed are the grim and joyless Christians. He's not talking about the Eeyores of the faith. You know, the, the ones that's kind of always just kind of head down, just kind of kicking rocks. And um, reminds me of the story about the little girl who uh, saw a horse and said, daddy, look at that horse. That horse must be a Christian. And the dad puzzled, looks at her and says, well, how do you know that horse is a Christian? And she goes, because he has such a long face. That's not who Jesus is talking about. And we all know that person, right? That person that just seems to be like the wet blanket on fun. They're just kind of always around. They're kind of pessimistic. The Debbie Downer, uh, they're always just kind of down in the dumps all the time. It's the Christian that you wonder if they were baptized in lemon juice or not, right? <laughs> we, we, we know someone like that. Now here is, I want you to listen to me. I'm not talking about someone who is legitimately suffering from depression. That's not who I'm talking about here. It's this kind of grim and joyless Christianity that we're just always just like, man, things are just never good. Second, Jesus isn't saying, blessed are those 
mourning because they didn't get their way. Now, we all get that, right? And, and we've, we've seen it happen in church time and time again where something doesn't go someone's way, and they kind of just take their ball and go home. They, they, they go to a different church. They don't stick it out. Um, <clears throat> we see this, a good example of this in 1 Kings 21. There's this uh, Israelite king by the name of King Ahab. And King Ahab was uh, next door. He, he looked uh, across his, his castle or whatever, uh, and he sees this vineyard. And he's like, man, that's a really beautiful vineyard. I would like to have that vineyard. So he goes over there and talks to his neighbor, Naboth, and says, hey, I like your vineyard. Will you please sell it to me? And Naboth says, king, I would love to sell you my vineyard, but it's been in my family for generations. In fact, this is what we pass down in, in, as inheritance. And says, so I really, I can't sell it to you. And scripture says that uh, Ahab, <clears throat> excuse me, Ahab went and he mourned because he could not have the vineyard. And so uh, his queen, Queen Jezebel, comes in. Yep, that Jezebel uh, comes in and says, hey, why are you crying over this? You're the king. You can just go have whatever you want. So they make up this plan. They go falsely accuse his neighbor, uh, Naboth, and uh, they, uh, Naboth gets executed, and then Ahab takes over the vineyard. Uh, and so this isn't saying that blessed are those who are mourning or pouting because I didn't get my way. And lastly, Jesus isn't saying, blessed are those who are mourning over the difficulties of life. Pardon me. <laughs> now, we all get that every single one of us here, we all live in a broken world. We do. We would all have to admit that. And really, whether you follow Jesus or not, we all have to put up with the same brokenness in this world. And every single person, whether you follow Jesus or not, we've all had losses in our life. We've all had difficult times. So Jesus isn't saying just because you've had a difficult time in life or grieving a loss that you're going to be comforted. Well, then who exactly then is Jesus saying is going to be blessed and comforted? Now, there's some debate over who exactly Jesus, uh, excuse me, is talking about here. Some say <clears throat> that Jesus is only referring to those who are mourning over their sin. And I want you to know that it can and it does include those who are mourning over their sin. So if you're here today and you're mourning over this, your sin, um, take heart because there is comfort for you in that. Uh, so there's some who just very strictly say this is only the people that Jesus is talking about. Matter of fact, we are doing a church-wide study uh, in our community groups uh, going through the Beatitudes. And the author of that study in that book takes a very strict stance of that this is only the people who are mourning their sin that Jesus is talking about. But, and I do believe that that is true. Jesus is talking about those who mourn their sin, um, but there is a fuller um, interpretation or understanding of this text. And Jesus is saying, blessed are those who are mourning that all is not right as it should be. Like we all get that, like so if you're here today and you're just, you're kind of grieving, you're mourning and you're crying out to God, God is not supposed to be this way 
This is who Jesus is saying will be blessed and comforted. Now, we all agree that life is not supposed to be this way. People are not supposed to be sick. People are not supposed to die. Marriages are not supposed to end. Wars are not supposed to uh, break out. Um, People are not to be oppressed. People are not to go hungry. We get that as we look at the world that this is just not the way it's supposed to be. But why is it this way? Why do we see all of this happening in the world? And the Bible tells us that the world is not as God intended it to be because of sin. Because of sin. Uh, And we can look all the way back in Genesis uh, 3, uh, right before Adam and Eve fell in the garden. We see Adam and Eve living in this beautiful, perfect relationship with one another. The relationships were easy. The, uh, like life in the garden was as God intended it. Humans were, were thriving. So much so that our horizontal relationships were good, but also a, our vertical relationship was good and it was unimpeded. Matter of fact, it was so good that our vertical relationship was actually a horizontal relationship because God was coming down, walking with them in the cool of the day. And, and, and Adam and Eve, they were naked and, and they were happy and there was no guilt and there was no shame. Life was just wonderful. It was how God intended it to be. But in that moment of their sin, sin entered into the world. And it radically changed how life was going to be from that moment on. Turn with me over to Genesis chapter 3. And I'll give you a second to turn there. And and Jesus gives us this, over these next few verses, he just begins to show and lay out, this is what life is going to be like now that sin has entered into the world. Look at Genesis 3 verse 16. He says, to the woman, to the woman, he said, I will surely multiply your pain in childbearing and chain, uh, in pain you shall bring forth children. Your desire shall be contrary to your husband, but he shall rule over you. And he's saying from here on out, there will be contention in your relationships. You're always going to be trying to one up one another from here on out. Go on in verse 17. He says, and to Adam, he said, because you've listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten of the tree of which I commanded you, you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you, and in pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you, and you shall eat the plants of the field. He's saying, all of your hard work It's always going to be hard and difficult. You're going to try to do some things and it's just not going to work out. You're going to put a lot of effort in and you're going to get very little in return. It's just you're going to have a difficult time in your life. He goes on in verse 19. He says, by the sweat of your face, you shall eat bread till you return to the ground. And he's saying, you know what? This is going to be a hard life for you. He says, for out of it you were taken, for you are dust, and to dust you shall return. He's saying, from the moment you were born to the moment you die, life is going to be hard. Life is going to be difficult. You're, there's going to be losses in your life. And, and there's, there's going to be things that you're going to grieve and mourn over. And, and, and really, uh, the, to cap it all off of a hard life, then there's death. 
And people that you love and you care about are going to die. And eventually you will too. And God says from that moment, because of sin, life is just not going to be the way he originally intended it to be. So if you're here today, and you're just in your grief and mourning and your loss, and you're crying out to God, God is not supposed to be this way. I'm not supposed to miss my spouse. I'm not supposed to bury a child. I'm not supposed to uh, end this relationship. I'm not supposed to uh, be divorcing right now. Whatever it is and wherever you're at, if you're crying out, hear me, there is comfort. There is comfort coming your way. And it seems with all of this pain and sadness in life, the only logical, reasonable response to this is to grieve and mourn. That God does not just expect us to sit here and grin and bear it, to shove down our emotions. And again, it just kind of sort of blows up this myth that God expects us to be always happy and smiling. But here's the problem. We don't like to grieve. We don't. We don't like to feel sad. Who in here likes to feel sad? <clears throat> no one. Okay, there are a few, but <clears throat> that's okay. Um, um, but most people don't like to be sad. And really, as a culture, we don't have much of a tolerance for painful emotions, do we? We don't. Uh, we, we, and so because of that, we don't know how to grieve well. A lot of times I just hear people who are just struggling and grieving and mourning. Uh, and they're like, Pastor Tim, I don't know how to get over this. And in some ways, they just kind of refuse to grieve. They refuse to mourn because it's just too much to bear. But here's what I know. If we don't grieve, it could say one of three things about us. If we don't grieve, it could mean that we are out of touch with reality. Because there are lots of things in life to be sad about. And when we look at Scripture, there's lots of things that Scripture, that scripture says we should mourn over. Scripture says that we are to grieve when bad things happen to us. Did you know bad things do happen to good people? And it always strikes me funny, not funny, haha, but just funny that when, when bad things happen to us, our first response is to blame God. Why do we blame God in that moment when bad things happen to us? See, my Bible says that God is trying to restore all things. And he's making all things new. He's redeeming all of the things in life that were taken from us bit by bit. God is doing that, that God is a good God. And my Bible also tells me that Satan is the one uh, walking around like a lion, trying to seek, uh, seeking who he can devour. He's trying to make my life as miserable and trying to pull me away from God as much as possible. So why, when bad things happen to us, do we blame God and not blame Satan? Why do we not blame him? The Bible says we are to grieve good things that don't happen to us. Did you know that there are things in our lives that we dream and hope for and long for that just never become a reality? We see that happen all the time in Scripture, that this mourning that goes along with that. 
we are to grieve over our sin. Our sin is something that we should grieve and mourn. Because because of our sin, we lose out on certain things. And even though it may be our fault because of our sin, that still does not mean that we should not grieve that. And the reality is, is that when we sin, we never sin in a vacuum. My sin doesn't only just affect me, it hurts my relationships around me. It impedes my relationship with my heavenly father. So scripture says that we are to grieve over our sin. We are to grieve over the suffering in the world. Uh, It only takes five minutes of turning on uh, the TV and turning to the news channel to understand uh, that there is a lot of wrong in this world. We are to grieve over our family and friends that don't know Jesus. We all have someone or someones in our life that we love and care about, maybe close friends, maybe family uh, that we should sit here and grieve because Jesus has not saved them yet. That unless Jesus does save them, that they are going to spend eternity separated from Jesus and separated from us. We should grieve over people that don't know Jesus. So we do our best to avoid our grief. Two, it could mean that we are out of touch with our emotions. We are. Um, For many of us, we detach from our emotions. And any time that we begin to take steps and behaviors and actions to detach from our emotions, they're always destructive. They're never helpful. We detach from our emotions by numbing them out on television, on social media, on food, on work, our hobbies, our retail therapy, uh, just just about any uh, destructive coping behavior we can think of. And we can think of a lot as humans. We do all kinds of things to keep us from feeling the painful emotions. One of the things that we do as Christians is we do this thing called spiritual bypassing, where we use uh, Christian things to sidestep painful emotions. Like we, we, we say things, we have these Christian platitudes that we like to say. You know, the, the bottom's dropping out of our life, and we'll sit there and say, well, praise God who gives and takes away. Or we'll say, you know what, I'm too stressed to be blessed. Or, uh, you know what, uh, someone says, I'm sorry you're going through that. And you're like, well, I'm just here, I'm just trusting in the Lord. And we say these Christian platitudes to sidestep the reality of what we are going through. And let me just say, God never gave us himself so that we can use him to sidestep our painful emotions. He gave us himself to be with us in our painful emotions. Three, it could mean that we don't love. Because when you love and you experience sad things, you grieve and you mourn. To not grieve a loss is to say, I didn't love. Now, you may be cold and callous and apathetic. And because of that, it means you won't grieve. But it also means that you won't have love. And I want you to know that grief is proportional The greater your grief is, it shows how much what you loved that you lost. The more you love, the more you're going to lose. The more you love, the more you're going to experience grief in this life. 
But the problem is that we have refused to grieve, many of us. We're not very good at grieving. A guy by the name of John James, he kind of wrote the handbook literally on grief recovery. And he says, as children, we are taught how to acquire things, not what to do when we lose them. Most people, we know how to get some things, but we don't know how to handle it when those things get lost. People ask me all the time, Pastor Tim, I don't know how to get over this. And let me just tell you, there are some losses in life that you will never get over. But the reality is, is we're not to get over the losses in life. We are to go through the losses in life. We can't go around it. We can't go under it. We can't go uh, over it. We have to go through our grief and the loss. And if we don't go through it, that's where we get stuck. That's where we get stuck in our our grief. And if you are here today and you are stuck in your grief, let me uh, just share with you that Jesus wants to be with you and go through your grief with you. And I pray that you hear Jesus' words this morning. So how does Jesus go with us through our grief? How does Jesus say, blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted? How is Jesus going to comfort us? First, he comforts us with his presence. Scripture says that Jesus draws near to those who are brokenhearted. Look at Psalm 34, 18. It says, the Lord is near to the brokenhearted, and he saves the crushed in spirit. Here's what I know, though. When you are grieving, sometimes it feels like Jesus is a million miles away. But I want you to know that he is not a million miles away. That he has never been closer to you. I want you to know that what you feel and what is actually real is not always the same thing. And you don't always feel what is real. And Jesus is so intimately involved in your grief. Scripture says that he is counted and has kept track of and has kept in a bottle every single tear you have ever shed. Look at Psalm, Psalm 56, 8. He says, you have kept count of my tossings. You ever just laid at night and just wept tears in your pillow? That you're grieving and mourning a loss, that you just sleep eludes you. Like Jesus has kept count every time you have tossed in your bed because of your grief. He says, put my tears in your bottle. Jesus has kept every single tear you have ever shed. He says, are they not in your book? The tears you shed are so important to your heavenly father. And parents, you get this. We like to keep things that are precious to us from about our kids, don't we? How many of you have kept the, the, the first locks of hair from your kid's first haircut? I've known of parents keeping the first fingernails from the time they, their kids uh, got their first fingernails cut or the first tooth that they lost we, or, or the, the onesie that they first wore home from the hospital. We keep things that are precious to us about our children. And let me just tell you, children, 
Your tears are precious to your heavenly Father. But God not only draws near to us, he grieves with us. See, the reason why we have the capacity to grieve is because we were made in the image of God. Snails, flies, they don't grieve because they weren't created in the image of God. But we were and we grieve. The reason why we have emotions is because God has emotions. And the Bible tells us that, that, that God grieves and that he, he weeps. We can look in Scripture and see that Jesus, when his dear friend Lazarus died, and Jesus, who probably the only human who, who had the surest hope of heaven in that moment, it says that Jesus wept. That's John eleven thirty five. 35. I want you to just say that with me. Uh, Jesus wept. There you go. You just learned a scripture verse. It's the shortest scripture verse in all of the Bible. But Jesus wept. And if Jesus, who was the manliest man that we probably there, there ever was, was not ashamed of his tears, then why should we be? I hear so often when people are crying and they, they, they begin to apologize. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm so upset. You have nothing to be sorry for. Never apologize for your tears. Isaiah 53 says that Jesus was a man of sorrows. Just think about that for a moment. A man of sorrows. He was acquainted with grief. He, was well, he, he knew it well. And this means that when we grieve and we cry and we mourn, Jesus isn't up there in heaven saying, what are those things falling from your face? Like, wh wh why are you doing, like, buck up, man, just keep going. No, Jesus is not saying that. See, in your pain of being alone, Jesus feels that. When you feel that pain of separation, Jesus feels that. When you feel the pain of embarrassment or rejection, Jesus feels that. When you feel the pain of great loss, Jesus feels that. And we have a God who loves us, who draws near to us, and he grieves with us. He not only gives us his presence, but he gives us his people. God gives us a church family for support. God never meant for you to go through life alone, let alone to, for you to go through your grief alone. There's an old saying, I don't know where it came from, <clears throat> but it says, when you share a joy, it is doubled, and when you share a sorrow, it is halved. And when you carry your grief by yourself, you are carrying a weight that you were never meant to carry. We were meant to grieve in community. Healing comes in groups. It comes with the church. We are better together. Romans 12, 15. Go ahead and turn with me there. It's a, a great verse for us to just remember in this moment. It says, rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. It doesn't give conditions on that. It just says if someone's weeping, we should weep with them. We didn't say, like, okay, you're weeping because 
you deserve this because of your own sin. No, they're weeping. We should weep with them. Now, I don't want to dive into this because this is a whole other message, but, but we've talked about it probably a hundred times. But let me just say, you need a community group. Because if you don't have a community group, a people around you, uh, that, that you have no safety net when the storms of life come. You have no one to, to walk with you and just be a presence of comfort in that moment. Now, this is something that we desperately need in our church. And so starting this fall, I want to let you know that we are starting a grief recovery group. Because one of the things that we see is that we just don't know how to grieve anymore. And we don't know how to come alongside someone who is grieving. So uh, be on the lookout for more information about that. But through this, we're going to be able to support one another, to love one another, to care for one another, to walk with one another in our grief. And I get it because grief feels isolating, doesn't it? You feel so alone in your grief. Uh, And if you are there, let me encourage you to the best of your ability. Sometimes you're not even sure if you have the strength to raise your hand and say, I need someone. But just do your best. Raise your hands. I need someone. Let someone know. And really right now, church, I want you to know that uh, every single person in here is in one of two places. You're either going through pain yourself and you need to be comforted, or you are not going through pain and you need to comfort others. You either need comfort or you need to comfort. That's, That's who we are as a church. And so if you are currently in a place where you are not hurting, praise be to God that things are going well in your life. But let me encourage you to step into what Jesus is calling you to and be this comforting presence in someone's life who is hurting. There's probably someone in the row that you are sitting in right now who's going through something that we can't even begin to imagine. And they just need someone to be there. You don't have to fix it. You don't have to learn to say the right thing or do the right thing. You just have to show up and weep with them. We can do that. And lastly, Jesus gives us his promise. God gives us the promise of heaven. If you are in Christ, this life really is not all there is. There is this hope of heaven. And if there was no hope of heaven, then we should all, every single one of us, just be in despair. We should have the long face. We should grieve without hope because there's just too much bad stuff that happens in this world, isn't there? But we who are in Christ, we have hope that this life is not all there is. Look at 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. I'll give you a second to go ahead and turn over there. I want you to read this. First Thessalonians 4, beginning in verse 13. It says, But we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who are asleep, that you may not grieve as others do who have no hope. For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so through Jesus, God will bring him those who have fallen asleep. Jesus is saying, we don't grieve without hope. 
Jesus defeated sin, Satan, and death. Because of that, we have hope. That this life isn't all there is. That there will one day be an end to all of our pain. Our sorrow will be turned into joy. We'll be reunited with our Savior. We'll be face-to-face with Him. And we'll be face-to-face with even our loved ones that we have lost along the way. And it's this idea that when someone dies and they knew Jesus, we don't grieve for them. We grieve for us because we're going to miss them. They're living in perfect, they're living how God intended them to live. All is is well with them. And they're there waiting to be reunited with us. But because we have the hope of heaven, we're going to see them again. Because we have the hope of heaven, all things that we have lost is going to be restored, even our loved ones. And here's the beautiful thing. We're just not going to see our loved ones. We're going to hold their hand again. We're going to share stories with them again. We're going to hug them again. We're going to kiss them again. We're going to be with them, and we're going to be with God. And this is probably the most hopeful verse in all of Scripture. And this is what we are longing for for those of us who are in Christ, Revelation 21. It says, He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. And that right there is our ultimate comfort. And between now and the time that that becomes a reality, we are to grieve and be with one another in our morning. Now, if you're here today and you don't have Jesus, then your grief and your sorrow is without hope. That really this bitter life is all there is for you. But I want you to know that you too can have hope like the rest of us. That Jesus, he's calling you this morning to come and have the hope of heaven. He's calling you and says there is comfort for you as well. And so if you are here and you're grieving your mourning and you're crying out, God, it is not supposed to be this way. There's comfort for you. Now, each week of this Lent series, we're going to take a moment of silence. And I want you all to just maybe just bow your heads and close your eyes. And in this moment, let it be your crying out to God. Sit just a moment with your grief in your mourning and cry out to God, God, it is not supposed to be this way. Please comfort me.
Father, we come before you this morning. And we come crying out to you, saying, Lord, this is not how you intended things to be. Life wasn't supposed to be this hard. Life wasn't supposed to be filled with this many losses. So we just cry out to you because of our sin, because of others' sin, because of the things that we have lost, the people that we have lost. So Father, we, we, we come to you and we seek you out as our refuge and our comfort. And Father, we pray that you give us comfort through your Son, through one another. Father, we just ask that you would just encourage our hearts this morning with the hope of heaven, that this life isn't all there is, that you are making all things new. And so, Father, I just pray that you would just give us the hope to be able to see that. And we just pray and ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.